Welcome to Catch Outdoors, presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis, reporting to listeners each week from the fabulous Florida Keys. This podcast is centered around the great outdoors, includes topics on fishing, boating, beaching, bicycling, hiking, camping, etc., etc. So kick back for the next 40 minutes or so and get a taste of Florida and perhaps a few other distant outdoor locations. This week's episode is number 75, <laughs> Rules of the Boating Road. Actually, Rules of the Road is how I started this, but I thought I'd better stick in boating so as not to confuse anybody or better known as Red Right Returning. If you know what that is, you're good. If you don't, listen. <laughs> but first, some announcements, and there's a lot of announcements, so it may take a little bit to get to 75, so kick back, relax, enjoy yourselves, and just, we'll get there in a minute. I've restarted and renamed my YouTube channel, and I really appreciate it if listeners would visit and watch. I've added about three new short videos. I've all I've always enjoyed doing that stuff. I mean, I really do. I enjoy making videos, and I will do more of it, um, especially with drones, GoPros, that kind of thing, underwater stuff. And now that I'm in the Keys with all this wonderful crystal clear water, it really does make it a lot of fun for me, and I really don't want to pass that along to everyone. So... There's a lot more to come. The name of the channel is Catch Outdoors. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, but you can still search under my name. Sometimes it's nice to have a unique last name, uh, like Modi's. That's M-O-D-Y-S. Um, often misspelled and mispronounced, but uniquely spelled. It is. It's one of a kind. Um, so thanks in advance for watching, and that's an easy way to search. But you can find another Catch Outdoors. You have to hunt a little bit harder because there's an awful lot of catch used and catch that and outdoors. So, And until my numbers go up a little bit, it's going to get a little hard to find. There are some, also some really neat old videos on there, so feel free to watch. Um, but the three new ones uh, should pop up right away. I attended with my lovely wife the Upper Keys Rotary Gigantic Nautical Flea Market. That's a mouthful. <laughs> At Founders Park in Alamorado over the past weekend. This was sad. Today's Sunday. So we went yesterday and it was absolutely insane. Um, I've never seen anything like it. I have been to many, many of these nautical flea markets. Uh, one on Danio used to be really good over on the on the East Coast uh, near uh, Fort, Fort Lauderdale. And there are a couple of other ones that we've attended both on both coasts. But this thing was without a doubt, the word gigantic fit it. It, is, it was massive. I've never seen so much stuff, so many booths, so many things for sale boat-wise and outdoor-wise. It was great. There were bargains on um, nautical uh, things, you know, like uh, clothing and fishing and diving gear, boats, uh, motors, <laughs> outdoor furniture. Um, man, it was it was incredible. And uh, still serviceable boat, serviceable boat, yeah, serviceable boat parts as well. Lots of those guys, you know, collect all the boat parts and and clean them up and then resell. There's a lot of that stuff too. So if there was something that was missing from your boat or something got old or broke, um, they had those. I ran into one of our favorite, we ran into one of our favorite nautical jewelry manufacturers from Fort Myers, Anissa. Um, it was great to see her again. Be sure to check out her ocean-inspired jewelry at anisajewelry.com. It's spelled A-N-I-S-A, -A, Anissa Jewelry. She has been doing shows for as long as I can remember. I met her at one of the original uh, boat shows in uh, Fort Myers. I believe it was a, it was probably the Florida Sportsman Show that they used to do there. I don't, they don't do it as much as they used to if they even do it anymore. But Anissa was there with a basically a, 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 a desktop, a, a 
picnic table with stuff on it. And now she's got a full-blown booth, and her stuff is really great looking, both for guys and gals. Some really good nautical-oriented stuff for guys um, and lots of stuff for the ladies, so check it out. We also stopped by the Avail tent and chatted with Clay and Stephanie. Those are the YouTube stars from Life by the Bow. Uh, we love watching that channel. Um, nice folks. Good about sharing their experiences about fishing and boating here in the uh, Florida Keys, especially around the Key Largo area. That's where they live. And it's really worth watching. So if you get a chance, pull up your YouTube channel, search for Life by the Bow, and give it a watch. I think you'll enjoy it. It's They're really an engaging couple, so it's a lot of fun to watch. Got three published books, What I Know About Fishing Southwest Florida, Bridge to Paradise, and Take a Kid Fishing, an adult's guide for introducing youngsters to the world of angling. All are available on my website at catchyoutdoors.com. You can also order them via uh, Amazon Kindle. All three are also available in the Keys at the Sandbar Bookstore on uh, Tavernier. And you can also pick up the books at 239 Flies in Bonita Beach and Southwest, on the, that's on the southwest coast of Florida, and at Lear's Economy Tackle in North Fort Myers. And yes, you can order them, like I said, from Amazon. That makes it easy. But the books that you order directly from me are much prettier. <laughs> they're, they're first prints, and they're also signed. Fishing Report. Fishing was outstanding the past week. It's been amazing. We, I, Most of Florida, if you're listening to this in Florida, you already get it. We are stuck under this great big high pressure system that is delivering a mess from California all the way to Massachusetts. The jet stream is well above us. We are trapped below it. Uh, we had 87 degrees today. We're looking at maybe 90 tomorrow. Almost no winds. It has been amazing. And the fish just lit up. Um, I did a kayak trip on Tuesday back up into my haunts of uh, Largo Sound. I landed more barracuda than I even care to count. It was it was like every cast. I kid you not. That was just one of those days where everything you threw in the water, they decided to hit. I got some really decent snapper. Finally, I got a keeper. Got a really nice 15-inch that I took home for dinner. Um, everything was caught on gulp swimming minnows, um, pearl white, eighth-ounce jigs heads. Uh, but it was it was crazy. It was like even everywhere I paddled and looked down, I had fish scooting underneath me. It was just, just great. Anyway, fishing report part two, but wait. There's some big news. Janelle and I are boat owners again. It's been eight years. Hard to believe. That's when I was diagnosed and with a cancer, and we kind of had to give up boating entirely. So eight years later, we finally broke down and did it again because we live in the Keys, and we thought it was stupid not to. Um, new Mako 18 uh, LTS is ours. I used to drive the 21 LTS for Bass Pro, so it's kind of a natural. Just go down to a smaller boat that can slip into the back country a little easier than the 21, and and there you go. Um, thanks to all the guys in sales and service at Bass Pro Shops in Fort Myers, you all really went the extra mile to get this boat rigged and ready in a flash, so I could come over there last Thursday and pick this past Thursday and pick it up and bring it home and uh, get it out there for the fishing report, <laughs> part two from the maiden voyage of the new boat. Uh, that would be today, Sunday morning. I'm doing this on Sunday afternoon. Um, we named it the Edwin May. I know, it kind of sounds like a, a big ship name, but there's a reason for it. Both of Jonelle's parents passed, and we thought it'd be cool to name it after both of them. Um, they did a lot for us, and they're great people, and we've really enjoyed their company. I miss them terribly. I know Janelle misses them terribly, but I can't tell you how nice those two people were um, and are, wherever they may be. Um, the Edwin is Janelle's dad's middle name. 
And the May is her mother's middle name. So Edwin May. Um, so there you have it. Uh, we got the initial stink off the boat with a hardhead catfish. <laughs> okay, okay. It was on artificial. Janelle got it. She approved. Of course, she got it. <laughs> I'm surprised. Then we managed a bunch of ladyfish. Both caught a whole bunch of those. And I got one very nice sea trout and lost one. The sea trout I got on the boat, I did not measure it. We put it back. Um, 18 inches, 17, 18 inches. Really nice trout. All were caught on artificials. Again, back to the pearl white uh, gulp uh, swimming minnows on jig heads. Uh, works for me. And we it was nice to find an area we've never, ever fished in those areas. Okay, We know zero about them. We basically just watched for bait. And we found a sheets of it in an area. And the bait was moving around quite a bit. So we started working under the bait. And, of course, the ladyfish were there. We were looking for others. But, you know, time didn't really permit, you know, we, this was the maiden voice. We kind of wanted to, you know, shake her down and see how she operated and stuff like that. So that was the fishing. This, believe it or not, fishing was kind of secondary. We got a free dolphin show while we were out there. A couple, couple um, uh, an adult along with our youngster was cruising around us and paying close attention to us. Got some nice uh, photos of that. And then we got a visit from a mama manatee and her young calf. Yeah, quite a day. See, I love being back out in the back country. A lot of fun. Now on to episode 75, Rules of the Boating Road. See what I did there? This podcast subject stems from monitoring my marine radio while I was on the kayak trip back on uh, Tuesday. And our recent purchase of a new boat. <laughs> so, um, you know, the boat was not that tough a decision, actually, but... Because of that, I kind of wanted to tie it together because now that I'm boating again, I just want, you know, we need to speak to this about navigation, boat operation. And there are a lot of tourists in town right now who do not operate boats very often. And it's uh, kind of scary. Uh, Yeah, kind of. So we have a very long history of fishing down this way. Uh, Going back to the middle 90s, Janelle and I kept a boat over in Isla Mirada. We would travel down every other weekend from Fort Lauderdale and wet our lines in the back country and did quite well. Uh, over the years, we learned navigation throughout the place and we learned the where nots and how fours and what to do and what not to do and that kind of stuff. And anyway, because of that, I always carry a marine portable radio with me uh, on the kayak. And of course, I'm going to have it on the boat now as well and monitor channel 16. I also set the automatic weather warning on that. I know some nice days look so beautiful in the Keys, and then all of a sudden things just go really wrong really fast. So it's nice to have the weather radio turned on. Um, But I heard a couple of things on the radio that that made me want to add this to the podcast today and to talk about rules of the road, of the boating road, of the water road, if you will. Um, You know, it's just this stuff may be common knowledge to most mariners, and maybe not. So what the heck? First had to do with anchoring on a reef. (laughs) That is a huge no-no down here. It came from a boat to another boat. The call came from one boat to another boat that was about to anchor on top of the Christ of the Abyss statue, which is probably the most famous dive site in all of Key Largo. It might be one of the most famous in all of the Florida Keys, as far as I know. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. Christ of the Abyss, it's a, it's a Christ statue that's really big, underwater, arms outstretched toward the surface that you must see, must be seen to be believed. It's beautiful. And oh, yeah. So after that, a bunch of radio chatter happened until the newbie figured out what all those white floating balls are used for out there around the Christ statue. And those are anchor balls. You do not drop 
anchors on reefs here unless you want to be shot at sunrise by everybody around you. So let's start there. Almost the entire nearshore Atlantic reef system, we're talking in the Atlantic Ocean, but it's the nearshore stuff, is part of a huge marine sanctuary called the Florida Keys Marine Sanctuary. This area has very strict boating, diving, and fishing rules. Um, I guess the best way to start this is to say read up on the rules before venturing out, but of course, most don't. The problem stems from visitors. It does, mostly visitors. The locals know what they're doing and know not to do it. And if they did, they've been stopped and been given a horrendous ticket, very large tickets, and they'll never do it again. Um, and there's data, of course, to prove this, that it's actually among the tourism. It seems most are fairly familiar with their, ha- their, their home waters, but not so much down here. And they admit it. They admit it when they fill out forms, for example, for renting boats. Let's take a look at those primarily that boat on lakes. And, and I'm not picking on these people, but this is what they do. These folks up north boat on lakes. They get very deep at the shore. There are almost no shoals. There are almost no sand flats. There are almost no sand bars and no place to run aground. And if there are, you're going to run aground close to shore, typically. That's my experiences with the rivers and lakes of Kentucky, which I was, I'm most familiar with. So it's, it's, it's very different up north. And there are other things they don't, you know, they, they spend a great deal of time on lakes. So it's just, you just run, you just go down here. You can't do that. I think most people just marvel at the fact that you can go three to four miles out and run aground. It just blows their mind and running aground three to four miles out of, off of the Key Largo shore in the Atlantic means you're going to run into a reef, which is extremely bad and highly finable. You don't, you don't want to go there a thousand bucks. Thousand bucks if you break coral. Not good. It can be more than that too if you do more damage. I remember having problems on the Ohio River though. There were things up there, and I want to say you don't want to speak to this because there are boaters that are experienced with it up there. They just don't seem to arrive in the Florida Keys. The Ohio River was scary as hell. It had it had falls. It had waterfalls. It's called the Falls of the Ohio. It's a really interesting area. And if you are not good at navigation and you're going at night, you could literally go over the falls. That would be bad. Um, there also was a, several dams on the river that control water flow on the Ohio and south into the Mississippi River. And those things were, were pretty crazy, too, if you really get down to it. They can turn on and shut off um, that dam in a moment's notice. So, in other words, you're just cruising along, you're enjoying yourself, and all of a sudden you hear this great big horn go off. It's a, it, a klaxon. You can't miss it. That means you're getting ready to open up the dam. It means water's going to come flowing out of there. So, if you're fishing around the dam or near the dam, you got to get the hell out of the way. So, there are things that people watch out for that those of us from Florida would not be the least bit familiar with. So, out of fairness, you know, it kind of works both ways. You just need to understand that down here in Florida, there is a ton of shallow water. Okay. There's marker buoys as well for crab and lobster traps. There are buoys to anchor. There are buoys to stay out of an area. They, they have these brightly colored, reddish colored, pinkish colored buoys that have special markings on them to say, don't go in this area. We have yellow buoys that border great big, huge um, grassy and uh coral patches that you're not allowed to fish in. You can go into it in the boat. You can go in there and snorkel if you want to, but you are not allowed to... Um, uh, not allowed to jump in the water at those. I'm sorry, you can't. You're not allowed to fish in those waters inside of those yellow buoys. So it's very, very important that you understand those rules before you wander into the Atlantic Ocean, anywhere along the Florida Keys, because you're going to run into these reef areas. And these reef areas are very delicate, and we're doing the best we can to try to protect them. 
Okay, here's a tip. Any boater can take a free online boater education course that takes about two hours. If you pass, you'll get a certificate that's suitable for framing. The funny thing, the certificate, the funny thing to me, <laughs> the certificate is provided by the Indiana University's Epley Institute of Parks and Public Lands. I, I understand, you know, they, they are the people that put all these together, but it seems really wild that you've passed something about our reefs, not crashing and burning on the reef, not hurting the reef, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all you've passed all the rules and regulations on this course. And it's given to you by the Indiana University. <laughs> I don't know, I find that kind of funny. <laughs> the second radio call of the day was for running a slow zone, no wake at speed. This happens a lot. This doesn't just happen in the Geese. This happened on the West Coast when I was working in the Lee County area of uh, Pine Island Sound and Matlashay. So people just seem to be oblivious to the slow speed signs. I'm not sure what the deal is. And slow speed means slow. Just, you know, just stop. Um, this one, the radio started blasting like crazy because it happened in a Narrows. Um, there's a channel that runs out of Pennycamp um, State Park out to the reefs. And you travel from that through the park to get out there. And there's a little area I call, you know, the Hell's Bend, Broken Bend, Danger Bend. There's a lot of different names for it, but it's a, it's a very narrow turn, uh, a zigzag that you got to navigate. And at times there are really big dive boats going through there. So you have to really be on your toes and they use their radios. They let you know they're coming. Um, so having the marine radio on is very, very important. Well, the radio just went off crazy because this guy was just running it. He just decided it'd be more fun to run. That's a great way to get yourself and everybody else killed. And it was just, you know, we're like, the, the, the banter was unreal. The best part about this was after he rounded the last bend and headed out into the Atlantic Ocean, there was the FWC officer sitting there, turned his lights on and nailed him. So poetic justice. <laughs> I guess that never happens, by the way, that when, when something like that happens, it just, you know, it escapes and they escape. And then we, everybody's yelling and screaming and carrying on. Um, let's see. The last radio call was made by a lost sailor. He was asking for directions to a channel entrance. Um, there are quite a few folks trying to help, but the boater had no charts on board and no GPS and had absolutely no idea what red and green markers meant. <laughs> And why they're so important, especially around here where you don't run a, want to run aground, and especially in the Keys. I mean, geez, and any other Florida water system for that matter that has shoals, we might as well throw that in there. I don't know the outcome for this poor fellow. I really don't. I hope he made it home safely. About those markers, it works this way, and it's real simple. The simple saying is red right returning. Um, but that can be difficult if you don't know whether you're coming or going. I'm not joking here. It's true. Some people don't. <laughs> but there's a way to tell that, too. The numbers work like this on markers, okay? The red markers have even numbers, and the green markers have odd numbers. The lowest numbers start at the seaside entrance to channels. So if you come up on a marker coming in toward a beach, for example, or from outside coming into like a bay, it will generally be number one green or number two red. Okay? That's the first thing you're going to see. And if one got blown down or is not out there anymore, you'll see a low number for your approach. And a lot of times they'll be opposing each other. They'll be one on one side and one on the other. This will be red on the right and a green on the left because it's red right returning. You're going to take all the red markers on the starboard side of your boat. What's starboard? <laughs> or port. Okay, for that matter, you really do need to study before you're heading out on the water, okay? Because you're going to find out that starboard is right 
and for it is left. Easy to remember, by the way, starboard has a lot of letters. Right has a lot of letters. Port has four letters. Left has four letters. You can kind of just put that in your mind. But red, right, returning. Um, a really good reference book uh, for all things boating is Chapman's Piloting. Uh, it's a book called Seamanship and Small Boat Handling. Uh, oh, gosh, my copy's probably 20 years old at least and still very usable. There's brand new copies out there. It sells for a whopping $59, I think, for the hardback versions on um, on Amazon. Um, there's only 650 pages, <laughs> right? I mean, it covers everything from the very, very, very novice stuff at the very beginning to the most complicated navigation pieces at the end. It's really, it's a great book, great reference book. If you're serious about boating, serious about getting into boating, uh, you've started real small and you're getting ready to graduate to something bigger, or you want to get, you know, get more, more bodacious. You want to make trips out to the Bahamas, or you want to make trips down into the Caribbean by boat from the United States, from Florida. This is the, the book to have. Um, let's see. Uh, there's, I was, oh, I was going to tell you, there's a Kindle version of it too. I don't think that's very practical. You know, the, I like having that book in my hands. It's, it's big. It's a big book. You know, like one of those table, tabletop books, uh, a coffee table book. And so when you pop it open, it's got lots of great charts and things like that. I think that would be really not so adaptable to Kindle, but for, I mean, but for all intents and purposes, Kindle's is less than 20 bucks and the full book is $60 if you buy hardcover, but I think it's much easier to use it that way. Anyway, it'll walk you through everything you ever need to know about boating and does it in an easy, understandable format. I mean, that's the best part about it. I used this book long, long before I got my captain's license. And then when I went for my captain's license, I used it as my study manual. So it's it's good stuff. Let me read you this. This is from the forward um, in the book. This is from the Commandant of the United States Coast Guard. Uh, the two most important items a boater can have are skill and judgment. In fact, it's been said that a superior boater is one who uses his superior judgment to stay out of situations requiring the use of his superior skills. That is why this book is so important to every boater. Being in a boat on the water is a wonderful experience, but it's also a challenging one. I could not agree more. Something else to consider, if you're having trouble understanding some of the more complicated items in the book, or any book for that matter, take a boating course. Uh, with either the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary or with one of the many U.S. Power Squadrons located all over the country, um, it's the the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary prides themselves. These are these are generally Coast Guardsmen that have been enlisted men who served short time, did, you know, didn't retire. They still want to get you know a little bit of Coast Guard time in, so they join the auxiliary, and the auxiliary lets them continue to instruct and teach people and do things like that. Um, and they're good. The courses are excellent. And so is the U.S. Power Squadron. My dad was a member of that years and years ago. And that's also one that's you know found all around the country and uh, do all kinds of fun boating stuff, but really try to get you into boating in a safe way. And then they do all these great trips, boating trips. Some of them are quite long. Some of them might take you across the Atlantic Ocean over to the Caribbean. You never know. Um, please understand, I'm not one to discourage anyone uh, from wanting to get out on the water uh, in their own boat. But you have to be safe about it for the sake of others out there and for the others like your family and your friends and people like that. I mean, it's people worry about you, especially if they know, where did he go? What did he do? Um, you know, 
you got to make it back to the dock. They get very antsy if you don't. I can't say that I blame them. Um, so that's the that's the hard part. So make sure that you take the time to learn how to boat correctly. Uh, shopping for a boat. I just did that. It's kind of the fun part, to be honest with you. Sort of. It's a t- ton of decisions to be made on what you're going to do as far as buying a boat is concerned. Um, and I didn't really think about that until I got back into it, quite frankly. It just sort of like, you know, went right over my head. Um, I had a couple of kayaks. I still have them. They're not going anywhere, by the way. I still enjoy shallow water fishing in a kayak. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but um, boat shopping, wow. Um, things have certainly changed in the last eight years. There are so There's so much new technology. There's so many new designs, hull designs. Uh, you can get a lot of boat for for a, a very small size now. Like the 18 that we have is, you know, keeps the splash away from the boat. Uh, very little water gets in the stern through the scuppers. They've got that all locked up now. You know, there's just some little bitty things that have happened over the years that I'm like, wow, that's really great. Um, <laughs> the motor we have has an app on my phone and tells me everything that's going on with the motor, how many hours, oil pressure, when it needs to be cleaned, adjusted, blah, 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 100 hours. I'm like, you know, on an app, on your phone, talks to your motor. It's uh, okay. That's cool. Um, the onboard electronics are really amazing. The trolling motors now have a thing called iPilot on them to, uh, so they can anchor. Basically, you tell the trolling motor you want to stay right there and the trolling motor keeps you there. Pretty cool. Uh, power poles. I think I had one of the very first ones ever when I was guiding. Short little thing. Gave me lots of problems, but it was obviously something that worked. And over time and with perfection, that thing is without a doubt probably one of the best in the business. The power poles and a shallow water anchoring system. If you haven't seen one, if you don't know what it is, they make them for all the way down to kayaks, all the way up to big boats. Well, to 10 foot deep. So I don't know if they make one any deeper than that. I don't think so. I got the eight footer, which is plenty. Um, it's really remarkable. You press a button and it's, it, it uh, scissors out behind the boat and puts a shaft down in the water, stabs it in the sand. You don't go anywhere, period. It's like breaks, sort of. I don't think you want to do that, but <laughs> it's nice for little moves. I love it. You can put that down and then when you, you want to move in just a little bit or over just a little bit, you pop it up. Maybe the current or the wind will take you there without even using the trolling motor and you put it back down in the water again. Again, it's called the Power Pole. It's made right here in Florida. It's uh, from up around Sarasota. It's really is a fantastic product. And the service on that is second to none. I have never in my life had, I've never had service that good. When something goes wrong, like you, you break a bolt, you break a cord, you something happens to it that should, either you did it or it did it, either way. Usually by next day, they've sent you a part for it, which I just find absolutely amazing. Um, if all companies operated that way, it would really be great. Um, but they do. Let's say you haven't, you know, you haven't decided what to do. So I guess that's part number one is is you got to make a boat decision. You got you got to decide. Okay, what am I going to do with this boat? How how am I going to am I going to use it? Is and this is going to be a family issue too for for you guys that are married with kids. You got to really think about this. Um, is it for cruising? Are you going to go do sandbar hangouts and sandbar parties? Do you want to do, if you don't know what that is, it's very popular in Florida. We have a lot of sandbars, as I mentioned, off our coast and in our bays. And these areas now have become 
uh, hangouts. It's been a, the voters will show up on a Sunday afternoon and everybody parties together and and laughs it up and plays music. It's really it's actually it's pretty safe as long as they don't do too much drinking at it. And the uh, FWC and the sheriff's office does a pretty good job of patrolling. So, but sandbarring is kind of a that's a thing. Fishing, yes. Waterside restaurant visiting. <laughs> That's on my list. I love it. I love pulling into the dock at a waterside restaurant, get a nice big burger and ice cold beer for lunch. I, I, that's just, you know, it's, that's just part of boating. Um, sightseeing, you know, like we did today, boy, you know, manatees and dolphins all in one day, not to mention all the birds we spotted and the places we visited up in the upper ends of uh, uh, above Key Largo, back up in Florida Bay. We saw some beautiful places up in there. Um, so remember, it's it's not just what you want to do either. It's you know, when I mentioned the family, it's what the family wants to do. So you, there's a lot of consideration on where you're going to go with this. Charter, perhaps. I always like to mention that. It's very very easy to help make a decision on a boat if you just take a few charters. Now I'm granted charters are not cheap, but boats aren't cheap either. And it's nice to be able to hedge your bet and make a solid decision ahead of time by simply going out on a boat with a charter captain and telling him what you or her, what you want to do. You know, I'm thinking about buying a boat and I would really like to see how this particular boat handles. These guys use everything from small flat skiffs all the way up to triple engine boats that take you out into the Atlantic Ocean. So somewhere along the line, if you're plotting and planning, this might not be a bad idea. And most of these guys will not object to you driving the boat if you ask them carefully. But (laughs) if you ask them, I'm sure they'd let you do it. Actually, no doubt about it. I would let you do it on my boat when I had my Mako 21. People go, how does this thing drive? I say, here, here, take the helm. Try it. See if you like it or not. Keep in mind the size matters in boats. Yeah, I mean, it can be both positive and negative too, but uh, bigger can be better. Um, For example, the 18-foot boat we have uh, is just about right for breaking waves. I say that because of uh, the length of the boat versus the waves that are coming at you are generally at a distance apart from each other to where the 18 will skip over the top of the waves. And the 21 certainly will do that, and bigger will be even better. It gets heavier, of course. The boat's heavier. Small boats, 16s, 17s, don't do that. Uh, You may have a chop coming at you that you're basically diving into every single wave. You'll have to readjust your speed to slow down or try speeding up to skip over the waves. So there's this this art to not getting yourself slammed to death. Um, Small boats are great. They're a lot of fun. They get you to places that bigger boats can't get to, but you pay the price on a rough day. So it's, you know, you've got to weigh all those things out. So bigger is good, but don't start with a 50-footer. I mean, come on, people. Okay, so you got the money. You retired. You won the lottery. Whatever the hell happened. And you're like, I'm going to go get a boat. You know, uh, the rock stars do this all the time. I'll read about so-and-so's got a boat, and I'm thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Never had a boat in their lives. And this happens a lot in Florida. Um, The rules for boating are fairly lax. Uh, there's no boating license required. There's no course required. There's really nothing required if you're an adult and you want to get yourself a boat and you want to buy one between 50 and 80 feet long. You can do it if you've got the funds. It's just plain and simple. It's not a very bright thing to do, but you can do it. A lot of big boat owners have captains that run their boats for them. That's one way to get around it. If you have the money to spend on a big boat, you probably have the money to spend on a captain. 
But if you don't, um, don't start with a 45 to 50 foot boat if you've never run a smaller boat. I would highly recommend that you really research that. Find out what you're capable of. You know, it's, it's not so much running across open water. That's pretty damn easy, okay? Docking is a whole different ballgame. <laughs> Boats don't have brakes. That's really essential that you remember that. They do not have brakes, and they've got quite the glide ratio when you bring them back to, uh, when you bring the throttle back to neutral. You'd be surprised how far they keep going. Um, so it becomes this, this thing where I, I tell people, you know, if you're looking at your first boat and you want to do some cruising, some fishing, stuff like that, in the, even in the Atlantic and whatnot, 29 to 32 feet is a good area to be in having never owned a boat. And even that's kind of big. Even that will be more difficult to dock and more difficult to maneuver into small spaces like into a slip, things like that. So keep that in mind when you're looking. Don't don't go don't go overboard, no pun intended. And don't be afraid to go small to start with. You can always sell that boat. Yeah, you'll take a little bit of a hit on it, but if you take good care of it, you won't. Down here in Florida, let me tell you what, the best time in the whole world to buy boats is April and May. Do you know why? I'll tell you. We have an awful lot of tourists that come down here. I mentioned this before, snowbirds and tourists, and mostly snowbirds, these people that come down and stay for three months. They show up usually in January, and they stay through March, Get escape the cold. Honey, I want a boat. Okay, darling, let's go get a boat. So they go get a boat. They have no idea what they want. They buy a boat. They buy something smaller, which is smart. But it turns out to be too small for mom, dad, their kids, which are mom and dad, and their grandchildren, say three of them. All of a sudden, you got a boatload of people on a small boat, and you're like, this is not going to work. So guess what? Come March, April, they trade the boat. And they usually trade on a larger boat before they go home. Okay, so guess what's on the market? A three-month-old boat with almost no hours on it, almost no use on it at a highly discounted price because it's used. So there you go. There's your tip of the day. If you're boat shopping, be sure to check out check out places like Boat Trader and use boats and consignment boat places. You would be amazed what's in these places. These boats are like new. Most of them still have warranties, or at least they'll be covered under a warranty by the guy that's selling it to you. So hell, the motors probably have less than 50 hours on them, if that much. And some of them have 25 or 30 hours on them. So basically, they've been broken in. <laughs> that's basically it. So keep that in mind. Buying boats in Florida in April into May can be a real bonus if you're searching for a bargain. Now it's time to think about the extras. Okay, so you got the boat price in mind. Oh, I don't know. We're going to spend 50 grand on the boat. Okay, great. That'll get you a decent boat. 50 grand will get you a nice boat, boat, motor, and trailer. You're ready to go. But then there's all these other pieces. <laughs> It'll cost you about, I'm not kidding, if you do a trolling motor, the power pole, electronics, which would be your GPS, depth finder, um, radio. Let's see what else. Oh, and all your other accessories like your life jackets, your throw cushions, your fire extinguisher, all that kind of stuff. You're going to spend another five or $6,000 right off the bat just to furnish the boat with the things you need to actually go out on the water. Um, so please keep that in mind. I always, I always tell people, don't forget the extras. When you're boat shopping on the boat, put a budget in mind of about $5,000 worth of electronics and stuff because you're going to wind up wanting that stuff when you get out there. Boat insurance. Here's the good news. Boat insurance is fairly cheap. If you're not a charter captain, it's very, very reasonable. Uh, the boat we just got is an 18 with a uh, 115 on the back. Uh, trailer, boat motor and trailer. Trolling motor, power pole, all the accessories and fishing gear uh, came to about 300 a year for insurance. Fantastic. 
can't do that with a car, that's for sure. Uh, so insurance is reasonably low until you mess up. So don't mess up, plain and simple. Captain's insurance is a whole lot more than that. So please respect them and give them nice tips when you're finished fishing with them. Where to keep the boat? That can be a tough part too. If you're going to put it in a marina, uh, they charge you by the foot. Uh, it can usually run somewhere between three and $500 to keep a boat at a marina, especially on a lift or up in one of the covered barns. Uh, so please keep that in mind. If you don't have room at home, if you don't have a garage big enough to accommodate the boat, if you don't have driveway space big enough, you're going to have to find a place to put it and keep. And that's going to cost you another monthly fee. Safety equipment. I mentioned just a second ago some of that, but, you know, again, consider life jackets, flares, sound devices, throwable cushions, fire extinguishers, an anchor with plenty of line, a bilge pump, bailing pump, almost bailing, a hand bilge pump, not the one that's electronic. Uh, you may want to add a paddle when you have one of those really bad days. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just laughed because I've seen this. Um, and I've been there. Uh, first aid kit. Oh, yeah, I got to get a first aid kit. Mooring lines. Don't forget lines. You need lines for the boat, okay? Lines are not ropes. Ropes are not lines. Let's, let's do that. We'll get that out of the way here. A rope is not on a boat, okay? Ropes on boats are called lines. So if you want to sound like a sailor, you say, hand me that line. Give me that line. Where's the anchor line? Do you have the stern line so I can tie it up? Da -da -da -da. Say line, and you, everybody, oh, look at that. Knows what he's doing. <laughs> But you're going to need them. Boy, you're going to need them. And a nice dock hook is always good to have. It's something you can reach out and grab that dock with or grab a cleat on a dock to help pull the boat over when it's just out of reach. There's nothing more embarrassing to reach out for a dock, grab a hold of the edge of the piling, the boat slips away, and you fall in the water. Not only is it embarrassing, but it can hurt really bad. Most of our pilings have barnacles on them, and you do not want to scrape legs on barnacles. Trust me. Handheld radios. I mentioned the one earlier that I've got. I love my little Cobra. My Cobra radio is great. It floats. It's totally waterproof. It's very powerful. I'm surprised at how far the reach is on this thing. Uh, radios are really essential. Marine radios are really essential on a boat. Um, I know people fall back on cell phones, but you'll get out of cell service without a lot of trouble. You just you just won't have cell service in some areas. Um, and the radio will reach the Coast Guard, and that's important. When you're in trouble, you want to be able to call the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard's got an amazing receiver and send system that can talk to you damn near anywhere. And if they can't, they'll transfer to the next nearest Coast Guard station, and they will talk to you. So get you out of a lot of trouble. Eperb. What's that word? Eperb. E-P-I-R-B. Eperb stands for Emergency Position Indicating Radio Beacon. I have one. I will always have one. If you travel on the water at all into remote areas, an Eperb is an essential device. Um, It'll save your life, quite frankly. They've come way down in price. You can get a really good Acer now, ACR, Acer for, oh, $390, $395. These used to be eight or $900 to buy a basic one. Now the handheld, it looks like a flip phone. It's not very big at all. $395 will get you one. Um, I added it to the boat. Um, if you are sinking, if you are in dire, dire trouble, 
and you have that little sucker in your pocket, you simply turn it on and press a button. A lot of them have hydrostatic turn-ons. In other words, if they go into water, underwater, they will turn on automatically. It sends a beacon, and the beacon gives your location while you're floating in the water so the Coast Guard can come and find you. This is really important because, you know, as a boat's going down, you will get guys on a radio giving position. There's their GPS position, their lat-long position. Here's where I am. But as the boat is not anchored, it drifts. So the Coast Guard has got to start heading for you, and then they have to find you, and they have to take make adjustments for drift and wind and all that fun stuff. All the while, you're drowning. You're cold. You're in the water. You don't, you don't want to be there at all. Sharks. <laughs> Sharks. <laughs> Sharks scare the hell out of me. I don't want to be floating around for any time at all if my boat is sinking. Eperb. The Eperb goes off, they scramble right away. No hesitance. So you don't set it off by accident. You learn how to use it. You can test it. All that kind of stuff. Do not set it off by accident because they'll scramble. They'll go and it'll cost you money if you did it by accident. But it's, it's, it's a jewel. It's something you want. Um, your family would probably pitch in if you asked uh, so that they know you're, uh, you're going to be okay. So You've taken your lessons. You've learned navigation. You've learned what red right returning means. You've learned how to read a GPS and how to how to chart a course. Once that boat's in the water and all the equipment's been procured, it's it's time to have a little fun. No, it's time to have a lot of fun. There's something about boating in the state of Florida that just cannot be beat. It it'll take you to places that you've only seen on TV. Back into the Everglades, back into the upper reaches of the 10,000 Islands down into the Florida Keys and all around the lower Keys in the Atlantic Ocean near shore reefs and these wonderful places where you can dive and snorkel and you know it's just it's it's crazy Florida's surrounded by 1350 miles of shoreline 18 and 100 oh, sorry 825 miles of that is sandy beaches <laughs> I mean think about that there's only one place bigger I'll give you half a second to guess. Okay, there's your half a second's up. Alaska. Alaska is the only place that has more shoreline. I'm sure they don't have as many beaches. It's mostly ice, but that's okay. But we have 1,350 miles of shoreline. We have more water than anything else, people. It's like, why don't you have a boat? <laughs> the number of small islands is staggering, and many of them can be visited by boat. Some, if you're very brave, you know, like with mosquitoes, snakes, and that kind of stuff. I once sat on a beach down on the southern tip of Florida and had a wild boar come out and poke his head at me. I'll tell you what, that'll wake you up. I was like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> Fishing is out of this world. If you escape the masses by using a boat, you get remote access to some of the most amazing fishing places that you've ever visited. Yeah, it takes work. Yeah, you've got to practice your, you know, you you got to get out there and just do it. But as you start to learn these spots, it's going to get better and better and better. And you're going to catch some amazing fish. My personal record for species caught in one weekend was 28. That's right, 28 different types of fish in one weekend. Think about that. Where else can you do that? Nowhere. I'm sorry, you can't. I've, I've done it in lakes up north. Believe me, five or six species in a day in a lake is really, really a good day. 28 species. That's pretty crazy. You'll see fantastic examples of nature. There are hundreds of birds, a bit less in the summer, but more during the wintertime. That's the migratory period when all these different birds come and go across our skies. Pretty amazing, to tell you the, the truth. It really is. You'll encounter sea turtles, manatees, dolphins, 
They even be rare sightings of saltwater crocodiles where we are. I can't wait to see them again. I saw some last time I took a trip. I think I took a charter back in May, and the guide took us up into the back, and we saw like five crocodiles in one day. That's pretty amazing. So the possibilities are endless. They're really endless. Boating is a way to get away from it all. When I'm on the water, I'm usually concentrating on where to find the fish. Hmm. There's no time to think about problems over the real world, and that's the positive side. I'm also far away from the internet, and <laughs> that can be very, very pleasant. I don't know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just a good place to be and a good thing to do. So by all means, even with all the tough parts of learning the boat, learning navigation, learning what to do when you're on the boat and what not to do, just overall boat handling, it is still worth it. It's still worth it. If you buckle down, there's really probably nothing better than that. Before I sign off, I want to thank uh, people. I want all of you. I want to thank all of you so much for the notes and the really good questions I've been getting via email and also text. Keep them coming. I'll do my best to answer via Catch Outdoors and on the podcast as we go along. But, but again, thank you so much for sending all those really great questions and suggestions for more podcasts. There's more on the way. Don't worry. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. My podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. If you enjoyed listening, please tell a friend, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Catch Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network. It's available on Waypoint and many of your favorite podcast providers. Facebook page is Catch Outdoors. The website is waypointtv.com and catchoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy. Enjoy.